Well, uh, isn't Christmas season a great season? It really is. It's a fun season. It's exciting. I love Christmas for the tinsel, the turkey, the toys, the songs, and uh, of course, our December, which is coming up. And uh, Hope Family celebrates December 6th. Uh, the Christmas hampers, December 13, and uh, the biggest uh, production we will have produced uh, coming up, A Christmas Toy Story on December 19 and 20. I hope that's right. Yep. Great. Thank you. Did you know that a man goes through three stages in his life? Stage one, he believes in Santa Claus. <laughs> Stage two, he doesn't believe in Santa Claus. And stage three... He is Santa Claus. (laughs) When we look at the Christmas story, we learn of a group of people known as the wise men. Have you ever wondered what would have happened if they had been wise women? I'll tell you what would have happened. If they were wise women, they would have asked for directions and arrived on time. When the wise women would have arrived, they would have bought a casserole, they would have cleaned out the stable. They would have helped with the the delivery, and they would have bought far more practical gifts. But the Bible says that they were wise men, and of course those gifts were symbolic gifts, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks' time. In life, you probably hear of a number of certain phrases that get repeated throughout. I'm wondering, because you're a pretty smart bunch here, if you could repeat, sorry, if you could finish the end of these particular phrases for me, and we're going to go somewhere with this, so hang in there. It goes like this. That you have a chip on your... A dimer. That's a piece of... Back to square. Back to the drawing. You're barking up the wrong. Stop beating around the... You guys are good. Wow. It's just like beating a dead... Between a rock and a hard... Very good. Curiosity killed the... (laughs) Cut to the... Thank you. Let's get there. Let's cut to the trace. Chase, even. (laughs) Have you ever found yourself using this particular phrase? It's up on the screen. How quickly the world can change. Watching the news, hearing words like Ebola, cyber hacking, torture, terror, betrayal, conflict, war, and persecution. How quickly the world can change. A friend of mine got the surprise of his life six months ago when attending his annual physical checkup, received the news that no one wants to hear. Cancer. How quickly his world changed. This last September, two of our very own people from this congregation, a father and a son, flew to the MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, to watch their beloved football team, the Richmond Tigers, thinking that this year they were on their way to the AFL Grand Final. How quickly? (laughs) They're well changed. You know a moment ago when I mentioned the word torture? Mm. Every week. Anyway, (laughs) A young man in his mid-twenties takes his beloved girlfriend out for a romantic meal. During the course of the meal, he takes the ring out of his pocket, gets down on bended knee and pops the question, asking for her hand in marriage. She thinks, 
how quickly her world just changed. A married couple with three children who think just one more child will fulfill their dream of having four children. They get pregnant. Later, the ultrasound nurse says triplets. (laughs) How quickly their world changed. An angel taps a teenage girl on the shoulder and announces a miraculous conception and that a divine child will be hers to raise. How quickly her world changed. Her boyfriend Joseph suddenly realized that the long-awaited Messiah is going to grow up in his own home and learn how to do carpentry alongside himself. How quickly his world just changed. We're in this series at the moment. We've done two weeks. This is the third, a four-week series entitled Certainty. If you have a piece of paper and pencil or pen, feel free to grab those. If you have your journals, feel free to grab those. If you have an online app of version, feel free to grab those. The notes are there. For the rest of us, it's going to be on the screen. Feel free to follow along here this morning. You see, being Jesus-centered, it's part of our mission here at Door of Hope, gives us a certainty and hope in the midst of this fragile and uncertain world in which we live. Andrew said in the first week, He said, certainty changes the way we act. And this was the very case with Mary, in which we're going to unfold the story in just a moment. But certainty about the future, Andrew said, changes what we do in the present. And Luke understood, as he was writing this, that if people understood about the certainty of who Jesus was, who he was, what he taught, why he came, about the death and the res- about his death and resurrection. Luke knew that if people were certain about these things, it changes everything. That they would live different lives. And that they would make different choices. And so right here, here is the mother of Jesus accepting her divine assignment. And regardless of how impossible it might seem to you and I in the natural to understand this. I understand that. One thing that I've learned is that when God's ready to birth something on this planet, that he's not limited to our time and to our space continuum or finite understanding. Why? Because he is infinite and continues to do the impossible. And we see this right here in this next part of Luke chapter 1. If you think about just how many mothers are in the Bible, you think through just how many mothers there are. You might know them by name. If not, it could be a good after lunchtime project to to look at the mothers in the Bible. But there was only one woman in all of history who was chosen to bear the Messiah. How many people know here there are only certain things that women can do, right? Yeah? Come on. And so out of all the women of that particular time, what kind of woman... What kind of woman would it take to birth the Messiah to their generation? How do you get the job for the carrier of God? What was happening in heaven at that particular time in his story? Could you imagine that the God of the universe who fills all of heaven and earth, Jeremiah 23 says, now fills your womb? So the question I'm asking this morning in regards to this particular story, probably a story familiar to most of us, and it's this question. What does it take to be a carrier of God? 
Spiritually speaking, today's big idea is that we, male and female, are called to be God carriers to our generation. Do you agree with the following statement? There are problems in the world today. Yeah, you agree with that? I don't know if anyone would disagree with that. In fact, you and I know there are problems at every level. And um, the big question that we need to ask in regards to this fragile and uncertain world in which we live, and we just witnessed more in this last 24 hours, is what, is, what, causes, what causes the problems? What's the root cause of everything that is wrong in the world today? I'm going to dare to answer it by saying this, and this is a good lunchtime conversation as well, is that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And that's what is at the heart of everything that is wrong in the world today. It's our hearts. And see, the word to describe that heart condition, the Bible tells us the word is sin. Sin, a three-letter word. Three-letter word. It's a little word. That we have a sinful condition that only Jesus can fix. Now, some people would say, well, where is God in the midst of all this that's going on? Where is God? My answer to a question like that is this. It's this, that God didn't leave us. We left God. God didn't separate from us. We separated from God. God didn't reject us. We rejected God. And so our sin works a bit like an overdraft in a bank account. That the only one who can help us is someone who is in credit. And Jesus Christ is the only one in credit. And that's why Jesus came into this world to do something about our overdraft. Because if our greatest need was for information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need was money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. How many of us know we have so many of them? But if our greatest need was for forgiveness, and that's why God sent us a savior to rescue us from this thing called sin. And so somehow, just like Mary, somehow, in the scheme of things, you and I today are called to carry God to our world. That you and I, we are carriers of hope because we have, there's that big word, the big C word right in the middle. We have certainty. And so we're going to look at what it took for Mary to do just that. Before we open Luke chapter 1 this morning, just a few verses, I'm going to paint the picture uh, this way in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, uh, verse 4 to 10, a great passage that helps us with who we are and how we were created and who created us. It goes like this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is what? Rich. Rich in what? Mercy. Rich in mercy. Made us alive with Christ even when we were what? Dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is it. This is it. This is the underlying one. For we are whose workmanship this morning? God's, not your parents, even though there was, they enjoyed, anyway. But we are God's, we are God's work, not your past. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what does it take to be a God carrier to this fragile, uncertain world? What kind of qualities and attributes did Mary have that enabled her to be Jesus to her generations, generation? And what qualities do we need to birth Jesus to our generation? Luke chapter 1. Here's the text this morning. I'll come back to Ephesians 2 just in a moment. And it goes like this. Look how specific God is. And look, he knows your address, by the way. Get this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, how specific is that? God sent the angel where? Gabriel, to Nazareth. He knows your address, yeah? A town in Galilee. To a virgin, and by the way, that word back then meant the same as it does now, right? We understand that, yeah? Okay, so there's a, there's, a, there's a lot going on here. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly... Say this word with me. Favoured. Just have a look how many times it's said through this, and I'll come back to that in a moment. The Lord is with you. This is the angel. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at, these, at his words. I don't know you. I would have had a heart attack. Greatly troubled, <laughs> heart attack, all right, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have, oh, there's a, there's a word, you have found what? Favor. You have found favor with God. I think we've got another slide. Yeah. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And she asked this question How will this be? And that's a fair enough question, right? With what's about to be placed on your life and put on your shoulders. How will this be? Mary asked the angels, since I, and she understood this, right? There's been nothing going on. I am a virgin. I think we've got another slide here. Thank you. This is it. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Just a little bit of pressure. Okay? Just a little bit. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For with God, say this with me, nothing will be impossible. I am the Lord's servant. This is Mary, this is not the angel. For I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to, be me, to, uh, to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. This is your fundamental identity. You know, Paul, often when he addresses the start of his letters, I, Paul, 
servant of Jesus. Mary also says, for I am, I am servant. Important thing. But what a story. What an incredible story this is. Let's unpack it because this is about the woman who was chosen to carry and birth God to her generation. A big assignment. Uh, It's a story of the supernatural, as I mentioned before. It may not make natural sense to us because we can't put God in a box. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And I wonder if this can be likened to a story as people in our generation called to be carriers of the Spirit of God to our generation. Because here's what I believe. That God wants to get what's in you, out of you, into this fragile and uncertain world. Did you capture that? God wants to get what's in you, out of you, into our fragile and uncertain world. And so how are we going to carry him and what will it take? Back to the story of Mary just for a moment. Because there was nothing extraordinary in the natural about this young woman. But she was willing to be used by God, this young teenage Jewish girl in her early teenage years, maybe 13, 14 years of age. And he gives her this divine assignment, this wonderful assignment, so far bigger than her. And Mary, both in the natural and the spiritual, is going to have to grow where she needs to go. The degree to which you are willing to grow will be the degree in which God will use you. You know, Andrew, these last couple of weeks, talking about ordinary people, and I sit there kind of going, ah, we can breathe a sigh of relief, that God's into using ordinary people, not the most gifted, not the most talented, the most eloquent, the most educated, the richest, the right title and things like that. That kind of stuff is irrelevant to him. He's looking for ordinary people who believe in the extraordinary God who wants to do extraordinary things in one's life. And it would be just like God, wouldn't it? It would be just like him to take this unnamed, untrained, unwanted young Jewish girl and birth significance and hope and purpose to this world and to do the extraordinary and to do the supernatural. And you know what? He still does it today. He continues to redeem and to restore lives today. Did you hear that story last week of Lauren? Amen. If you weren't here last week, you missed one of the best hope stories I've ever heard. And you know what Lauren did? And in fact, Tim and Kate, the week before, I think it was, if not the week before that. They didn't make it about them. It's about what he is able to to do. That my God, our God, it's about who he is. It's about his workmanship. Not my parents, not the issues that I I face while I'm here. And some of you think you're disqualified maybe because of a background or your past or whatever it might be. And so many of us limit our lives and our capacity based on what somebody else has done and based on what somebody else has said to us, based on what what science says, based on what um, economics says, based on what the education department says. And these are great institutions, by the way, but... They didn't create me, and they didn't define me. God created me, and his word defines me, and that changes everything. Do I hear an amen? Amen. (sighs) You're alive. That's great. And I've lived long enough. Well, you know, I've lived long enough, and in my life, you know, I've come to understand the very things that the enemy wants to use to disqualify us are the very things that God redeems 
And they actually qualify us to be used for his purposes. And that's why it's amazing grace. It's amazing. It's amazing. And that's why the angel was able to say, for with God, nothing will be impossible. You know that word favor? Let's go there for a moment. Is that okay? Let's go there for a moment. uh, You are highly favored. You are highly favored. You get the favor of God. And I've heard people over the years and say, it's the favor of God. It's the favor of God. And I understand that. But you and I, we often read that and we think, well, the favor's all about us. You know, if, if, if Mary was living today and that kind of thing happened, it's kind of like, oh, I'm going to be on a reality TV show. They're going to pay for my wedding. They're going to pay for the meal. They're going to pay for everything. It's about me. But Mary knew it wasn't about her. In fact, we soon discover in this story that favor is for God's purpose, not for self-comfort. And favor can also cause a lot of inconvenience because Mary's life is about to be greatly inconvenienced. Luke 12 says, to whom much is given, much is required, much is expected. How many of us know here, Door of Hope, that much has been given to us? And that's why we aim for a miracle missions offering because we have been given much. We will be a blessing to many. And we continue to move forward in our vision and in our mission. In serving our community, here we are, Lord, serving, loving, giving in the name of Jesus. And so God says, God says, Mary, you are favored, and the favor pertains to your function and to your purpose, that if you are going to say yes to carrying the Messiah to your generation, it's going to be incredibly, incredibly inconvenient. And so firstly, go tell your fiance. Hmm, first step of inconvenience. <laughs> well, Joe, I was just uh, getting ready for dinner tonight and an angel came and appeared and this incredible thing happened and now I'm pregnant. No one's going to buy this. This is going to cost her everything. Could you imagine... Mary going to tell her friends, I had this visitation from the angel and I'm also pregnant. They kind of say, was that what you called Joseph, your angel? Mm. You just wouldn't understand. They don't know the story. They're a part of the story. They don't understand. I wonder how you and I would have reacted with all that going on. So but taking on this assignment could possibly mean Mary being ostracized by her own family separated from her fiancé, being stoned to death by her own community because she said yes. And so I want to ask you here this morning, what does it cost you or what will it cost you to bring your saviour, our saviour, to this generation? Embarrassment from a few workmates? Popularity? Coolness? Coolness is a pretty big thing in this world. Persecution? Money? It cost Mary everything because she said yes. Yes, my boy came up to me the other day. I was in the morning. He was watching one of the television morning programs. And he said, Dad, just watch this family um, on the TV. And he said, they were talking to the host. And they, they had um, eight bedrooms, six bathrooms. And they had you know, pretty much everything else. You know, the pool and the tennis court and everything. But it wasn't big enough for a family, I think, of four, he said. And this, I thought, what do I do with this kind of moment with my 10-year-old son? that you and I are a product of incredible um, advertising to teach us that that's what our goal is, those kind of shiny things. And there's nothing wrong with that. I thought, what do I do? So I sat down, I looked at him, I said, that's 
that's a pretty ordinary goal to have. In fact, most people have that kind of goal, to have the biggest this and the biggest that. It's a, I said it's a pretty ordinary goal. You know what you want to do? And it's to dream big. To dream big and to change the world. And we're a part of a church that dreams big and is becoming increasingly Jesus-centered and others-focused. But we get to do it together in community. I said, aim big like that. Go for the big dream. That's an ordinary dream. Go for bigger dreams and dream big. But if you're willing to dream big, are you willing to be inconvenienced or interrupted? And that's what Mary's faced. Because we're not a product of our time. We're a product of eternity, aren't we not? We're a product of eternity. We're on our way home. This is not our home. We're on our way home. And God has plucked you and I out of this thing called eternity and positioned us in this thing called time and has given us gifts and talents for the purpose of serving this generation. And we somehow think the goal of our Christianity is our own comfort and our own safety. As if someone, Jesus, if somehow Jesus came from heaven to earth, died upon the cross, rose again to make my life safe. I want a safe life. That sounds lovely. I want a safe life. But I want to say there's nothing safe about living. Just ask our friends in Paris. Just ask those who are on that flight that disappeared. You ask their family members. There's nothing safe about living. You ask the people that were in the Lint Cafe that day. You ask the people in the towers on September the 11th. You ask the police worker at Parramatta how safe life is. Because life is it meant to be safe? Let me tell you this story just very quickly as I wrap up. It's this story. I was on a plane. I think it was in America somewhere six or seven years ago. I was flying for, I can't remember exactly where it was, but I remember the time when the, when the pilot came through and uh, there was a fair bit of turbulence, unlike I've experienced turbulence before, right? This was a shaken, rocking plane. The pilot came over and said, ladies and gentlemen, no need to panic. Please fasten your seatbelts immediately. First thing, my response is, get me out of this plane. The spirit of atheism left the plane immediately. Hmm. This plane was rocking. The turbulence. And I thought, well, that day, and amongst other days, I'm sure you have as well, I learned that flying is risky. At age nine, I discovered that love was risky and I was dumped. And Laura, if you are... No, no, no. <laughs> Age nine, age 13, I had some close friends' parents split up and I discovered that marriage is risky. Christians, we should and need to take risk. I'm not talking about illegal, immoral or unethical. Why? Because our eternal security is guaranteed. Why? Because we have certainty. And just as Mary did to live the life that God wanted her to live, I think we should all have one fear and it's this that you're never going to live the life that Jesus Christ put you on this earth to live. That's the one and only fear that you have. Figure out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Jesus didn't come to make us safe. He came to make us dangerous, dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. And Mary said, yes, she took the risk and she took it for her generation. But don't be fooled, just as it was with Mary. God's not asking you to do the difficult. He's asking you to do the impossible because impossible is where God starts. Let's pray. 
Let's stand. Is it okay if we stand? Is that okay? So we're going to finish off with the last song and the team can come and get ready and we're going to sing. You know, um, you guys need to get ready. and do whatever. Um, When my children were young, they used to sing this song. In fact, it was probably just before my children. I don't know. It could have gone way back before them. They used to sing this song, my God is so big, so strong, and so there's what? Nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Sing with me. Is that okay? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. You know, there's not one prayer too big for God to answer. There is not one problem too big for God to solve. There is not one disease that is too big for God to heal. There is no heart that he cannot mend. There is no relationship that he cannot restore. There is no sin that he cannot forgive. There's no past he cannot redeem. There is no bondage that he cannot break. There is no need that he cannot meet. There is no mountain he cannot move. No enemy that he cannot defeat. There's nothing my God cannot do. And that's why the angel said, For with God, for with God, nothing will be impossible. All God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen.